How are we all doing? Hi, David. You all right? Good, man. Um, okay, so this is an interesting sort of subject to do. We're going to talk about Jesus is the Son of God because we're doing a series which is about, how, um, about the names, if you like, of God. Now, you would have thought, I've got the easiest one ever. Jesus is the Son of God. And yet, interestingly enough, if you look back over church history, it's one of the most controversial. You see, church history tells us that almost in every single generation, the church, that is the church worldwide, has tried very hard to kind of neutralize, almost remove Jesus from the church. Because Jesus is a tremendously inconvenient person. I mean, he was inconvenient when he came, and he's been inconvenient to the church ever since. You see, if we don't have Jesus, we can kind of make up our own rules, and we can kind of do things how we want. And we can have our favorites, and we can have our fads, and we can have our fancies. The trouble with Jesus is that he's kind of a real person, and we don't invent him. And therefore, he gets in the way. And it's one of the things that the church has always found inconvenient. And it's a strange thing to stand here and say that one of the big opposers, one of the, historically one of the biggest opposers to Jesus building his church has been the church. How strange that is. But notwithstanding, here we are, and I can tell you now, as long as I preach, Jesus will be the center, whatever others think. So we're talking about Jesus as the Son of God, and we start with a family reunion. Did you notice that? It's a bit of a family reunion. So there's the Father, there's the Son, there's the Holy Spirit. Jesus has been uh, growing up and, and reaching the tremendously mature age of 33. Who remembers 33? Honestly, I need an archaeologist to tell me about what it was like when I was 33. It's so long on Jesus. But then he goes to be baptized, and we see the Father speak, and the Holy Spirit anoint or come down on, and it's like a family reunion. And family reunions are like that, aren't they? Because when the family comes together, you start to see the resemblances that, that John the Baptist wants to defer to Jesus, that the Father points out that John the Baptist should be deferring to Jesus. John the Baptist did the right thing. That the Holy Spirit chooses to anoint or to land on or to acknowledge Jesus. And they're there. And you see the family resemblances. We're going to talk a bit about family resemblances as we go on. One of the things I notice about family resemblances is that as my children get older, so they resemble other members of my family more and more. So my, my older daughter and my older sister are, are beginning to look very alike. They are very similar mannerisms. They walk the same way. They do these kind of things. Now, we shouldn't be surprised at that. That's what happens. We see family resemblance. Does that make sense? I don't know about you. Do you, do you have people in your family who frighteningly remind you of, yeah, it's scary, isn't it? That's before you get to the point, you know that fulcrum point where 
you tell your kids off and your parent comes out your mouth? Yeah. Especially when it's that thing you said you would never say. Yeah. It's fantastic. I love that. Anyway, so fam but the other thing is that families come together at key moments in life, don't they? Families gather at key moments. So whether they're times of celebration or times of, uh, you know, tragedy or those sort of milestone times in life, that's when families come together. And this is a milestone moment. This is the point at which Jesus is about to start his three-year ministry leading up to his death and then his resurrection. So this is a milestone moment. So we have a family gathering as Jesus starts. Father, Son, Holy Spirit all come together. And, and that's, you know, a good thing. That's what we like. John Smith started the series by talking about this idea about there being a trinity, about there being Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Causes a lot of difficulty for lots of people. And we've got to be honest, it's not the easiest, is it? It's not the easiest. So I thought we'd have a look at this about what is the Son of God? Because the Son of God is the hardest bit. The Son of God is the hardest bit. When we look at uh, the difficulties, or if you like, the, the criticism that religions such as Islam have with Christianity and its, and its description of God, it is this thing. It is, we only have one God, you have three gods. You say you only have one, but you talk about them like they're three. But we only have one. And that, that causes difficulty. Okay, but, but the Son is the one that causes the most trouble. When you look at a range of Christian-esque cults on the edges, the thing you notice is it's the divinity of Jesus that becomes the stumbling block. Whether it's that he was actually divine, or whether it's that he actually rose from the dead, or, or all those kinds of things. So the, the Son of God issue is an issue. So we're going to talk about this. See, it is a separate debate. We're not going to have it today. Is there a God? But assuming that there is a God, I'm hoping that we can assume that today. Yep. Okay. It takes tremendous faith to assume there isn't a God, I have to say. Um, all evidence to the contrary, to be honest. Um, but there you go. That's a lifelong study for many people. But if there is a God, the idea that He's an Almighty, that He's a Creator, I, I use the word He just to give us a label, um, that there is a, a care and a benevolence, people can manage that. It's not a difficult concept. That God can't be seen, yeah? Therefore, there is a spiritual element to God a sort of presence, comforter, outworker of His will that's somewhat unseen, people don't have a problem with that either. And I don't just mean Christians, I mean generally speaking. Even people who would not consider themselves in any way religious but actually say, yes, but I do think there's a God. 
The idea that there is a God that does and that God moves in a spiritual way doesn't require much intellectual gymnastics to get. Are you with me? It's only when we go beyond that that people start to get into difficulty. And that's interesting because that's where we come to Jesus or, if you like, the Son of God. So, why a son? Why, why do we call Jesus the Son of God? And how can it be one God if there's a son? Because son suggests offspring. Yeah? So our Mark here, he has children. We have one of them here. We have a good example of a child. They are not and they're currently praising God for it, the same as Mark. They're related. Everybody has a burden. But they are not the same. So the idea of offspring and the same, challenge, isn't it? But here's what we read in Isaiah. Christmas time normally, and there's only about 11 shopping days left till Christmas. Um, and it's this, for unto us a son or a child is born, to us a son is given. Do you know that phrase? And it says this, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Who do we normally describe as the Counselor? Well, the Holy Spirit. Fancy that. He'll be called Mighty God. Who do we normally call Mighty God? God the Father, Yes. He'll be the everlasting Father. I won't even go there. Who do we call everlasting Father? We call Father. He'll be called the Prince of Peace. Now, that's interesting that Jesus is born, and the names that He gets given are Father and Counselor. Mighty God… This is, these are not, if you like, offspring names. These are originator names. The, the concept that there is a son, but that the son is not, not God. That's interesting, isn't it? This is also what Isaiah says. Therefore, you'll know this one too, quite often Christmas as well. Are you feeling Christmassy yet? Okay, this is, this is a sermon with sleigh bells, people. Okay, and it goes like this. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And we all know what Emmanuel means. Who knows what Emmanuel means? God with us. He will be called God with us. God incarnate. So, let's look at God. Just the wide concept of God as the Bible describes it. The Lord, as John Smith was telling us, the Lord is the Old Testament name for God, the supreme ruler, the absolute creator, the Lord, Father. Then there is God moves, or the, the Hebrew word ruach, God breathes. But God breathes, God moves. We say God moves, God the Holy Spirit. God is and does. 
He moves by His Spirit. And then we have this last one, which is this, God revealed, God incarnate, God the Son. So why a son? Why a son? And I'm just going to say the secret to understanding all the titles of the son are in one word. One word tells you why it's son. And it's this, it's revelation. How can God be revealed in such a way that we understand the true relationship of the Trinity? How can God be revealed? And it's about God revealing His relationship with Himself. What He wills, He does. What He thinks, He says. What He plans, He fulfills. And what He is, He reveals. Is that fair? What He wills, He does. What He thinks, He says. What He plans, He fulfills. And what He is, He reveals. And all of this is a partnership of cooperation. So God the Father, God the Almighty, conceives, conceives His plan for creation conceives his plan for humankind, conceives his plan for salvation, and then moves in that plan through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moves on the surface of the deep to enable the movement of God in creation. The Holy Spirit moves through the prophets and the people of Israel in order that his plan for humankind should begin to unfold. But then God is revealed. In creation, it comes into being. We have actual sea, actual fish, actual trees, real grass of a genuine green nature. And the Bible says that this is done by His Word by His Word, another name for Jesus. It is revealed. So God's concept for, for, for creation is created in, in the mind of God Almighty. It is moved in the Holy Spirit, and then it's finally revealed in Jesus. Does that make sense? Every time there's a revelation, we see Jesus at the heart of it, because that's what He is. So why a son? And a son is this. Jesus reveals the nature of son, obedient son, so, the Son is the perfect Son, the one who does what His Father wills, the one who says what His Father thinks, the one who fulfills what His Father plans. That, in other words, the fact that there is this Son reveals the consistency and the unity of the Trinity that God doesn't have a good idea and it never quite comes about. You know, that God thinks He might explain something, but He never quite manages it. That, that God thinks that it would be a great idea to roll out a program 
But at the end of the day, we're still waiting. But this is not what happens because the sun encapsulates the consistency, or if you like, the obedience that God has. If God says, then it happens. If God wills, then it is done. If God thinks, then it is revealed. And the revelation is there. Remember what Jesus said when he, when he came. He said, look, everything now that, get, that was hidden is going to be shouted from the rooftops. Nothing gets secret anymore because the revelation was there. But here's the last bit of that revelation, which is that that revelation came in a physical form. Now, we might think that that's remarkable, but it's not. It's quite consistent. Because God had a plan for revealing His nature in a physical form already. And that is the very place that we live, the very bodies that we live in. God conceived creation as an expression of Himself and moved it by the Holy Spirit and revealed it through Jesus at creation. So that God should do the same to reveal a relationship option for us is actually consistent with the way that God does business. Does that make sense? Are you following that? Excellent. So, a son is the ideal because it reveals to us that God is not at war with Himself, and God is not all talk and no action. There is not all fluff and no substance, but that what God is, is consistent in itself. Okay, so, this is what we read in Hebrews. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. This is God revealing His movement through His Holy Spirit. But, it says in Hebrews, in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, who He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Note that, the exact representation of his being, the exact revelation of his being, if you will, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Remember what it says in John 1, that through him all things had their being. Jesus is the one who holds things together because the things, if that's the right word, are the revelation of God, and that's what Jesus does. After He provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, and so He became as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is superior to these. So how can the Son be heir if He's the same God. We go back to the same thing again. So, when Mark leaves and there is a substantial fortune, substantial, after much fighting, at least a third of it's going to Abbey. Um, and, uh, and therefore, you think, well, that's, why is that? Well, because Mark is gone, and, and she is an heir. 
Praise God for Anglo-Saxon law, eh? Yeah. Scots had it first. Let's not say that. Anyway, by the by, but how can an heir be the same? Because usually an heir inherits when the parent has passed. Is that not true? Yes. So how can he be an heir? Well, let me talk about this. And the answer to this is that Jesus has, God has revealed his relationship through his inaccessible righteousness. So what we are actually seeing is the completion of God's plan. God's plan is that we should have unrestricted intimacy with God. That sin is no longer an impediment. It doesn't get in the way of our relationship. And it's not that God is different. It's that, in fact, we are different. God stays the same. We get transformed. Which is an exciting thought, isn't it? Do you like being transformed? I look at lots of me now, and I think it's in dire need of transformation. Yes, it has been transforming, but not in a direction that I've been entirely happy about, I want you to know. And it's true, there's that transformation. And therefore, where the Son inherits is this, that God has a plan. He has conceived. The Holy Spirit has moved to put in place the elements. And then because Jesus has done his bit, the last parts come to him. And who is the last part? You are. We are the inheritance that Jesus inherits. So Jesus, and the Bible suggests this, Jesus is the beneficiary of God's plan. Jesus is the beneficiary of God's plan. He's the one who gets the relationship with us. Now, many people, and this is the area where many people stumble, is people want to decide. They look at the Trinity and they want to decide who they have a relationship with. But this is neither what the Bible says nor what Jesus says. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus says, if I go, then I will send my Holy Spirit. The relationship with God is through Jesus because He is the revelation of God. If we don't have Jesus, we don't know what we're talking about. In the same way as the people in the Old Testament struggled to look at God because He was too difficult to deal with, Whose child is that? No, you'll have to try again. Okay. Hey. <sighs> Family. <laughs> anyway, so where was I? Goodness gracious. Yep, so the relationship that we have with God is through Jesus because he's the only revelation. Prior to Jesus, people struggled to have a concept of God. In fact, when God's glory came, it frightened people so much that they ran off. But many Christians have a struggle with this because they want to choose. And the reason for this is that God is a good concept, so you can make him however you want him. 
And the Holy Spirit can be sort of almost anything that you like, really, and you can, you can work on it. But Jesus is a person, and His words and His teaching and His attitudes and His values are clear, and His presence is challenging. But why is this? Because of absolute love. So God loved the world. The Father and the Spirit are bonded in absolute love. The Father, through the Spirit, reveals the Son because of His complete love. The option to destroy the world and start forever, start again, God rejects that as a plan. He says, I'm not going to destroy everybody, although they give me pain. I have a list of people that God might consider, but apparently He's not going to. And. Uh, and instead, in His perfect love, He reveals Himself and decides to repair the rift. This is what John says, says, what manner of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, because that's what we are. Well, we are if we belong to Jesus. What an amazing thing. This is also what John said, yet to all who received Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. So the Son is the revelation of God, but we have to understand this, the revelation of God in love. God reveals Himself because He loves us. If you think of all the ways in which God could have revealed Himself, and at times has done in the Old Testament, and potentially will do at the end of time. God could reveal Himself in judgment, couldn't He? God could reveal Himself in destruction like He did in the flood. God could reveal Himself in rage. God could reveal Himself in righteous glory, the sight of which burns us to nothing. God could reveal Himself in lots of ways. But God's chosen to reveal Himself in Jesus because that way we can have a relationship with Him. He doesn't want to destroy us. He wants to be friends with us. That's amazing love, isn't it? So the revelation of Jesus in itself is a revelation of God's love because other revelations of God could have been our destruction. Does that make sense? The revelation of Jesus is fantastic. Okay. So, what about a son? Fair enough. There is a son, and the son does not compromise the Trinity. Why a son? Well, like we said, because of a revelation, because of consistency, and because of this legacy of salvation that we all get. I appreciate this is a bit theological today. I hope it's okay for you to understand why it is we have this. But then we come to this big question, which is that's all very well, but is Jesus the Son of God? So, okay, I get the fact that God is one, and even if we talk about a Son of God, it's not compromising that God is one. Okay, I get the fact that we're talking about a son because it, it shows us that there's an ongoing consistent plan. I get all of that. But this son you're talking about, is it actually Jesus? 
Is it actually Jesus? And this is a big challenge because lots of people have had problems with the idea that it's Jesus. So I want to tell you a couple of them. So when the Jews were working out all the prophecies, some of which we've talked to today, they came up with models of what this Messiah would be. So there was an idea of a Messiah, but there were actually three clear factions about a Messiah that was quite interesting. The first one we know about, that the Messiah wouldn't be spiritual in any way, shape, or form, but would actually just be a sort of ruler slash military leader, reestablish us. At the time of Jesus, it was free us from the Romans, but that wasn't the first lot. But, the, you know, the, there wasn't anything spiritual about Jesus. And Jesus arriving being all airy-fairy and spiritual and forgive your neighbors and don't slap anybody was completely unacceptable because that couldn't possibly be the Messiah because the Messiah was going to do a good deal of slapping. And, uh, and, and here was Jesus not doing any. Which, uh, you know, clearly, why was Jesus born in Israel and not in Glasgow? There's one of the main reasons. Secondly, so then there was a second lot who thought that the Messiah would be spiritual, but his spirituality would be like that of Moses, that he would be a great teacher, a, a producer of spiritual insight. He would produce a spiritual movement that would restore Israel back to what it should be. Two flaws in this. Number one, when Moses was around, the people didn't follow him anyway. But the other one was that the law was already crushing people as it was. So the idea that somebody was going to come with an even bigger stick was only attractive to the people who carried the stick. Have you ever noticed that? If somebody's at the top of the hierarchy, they don't have a problem with there being a hierarchy. You know, if people are getting hit by sticks, the people with the sticks don't see what the problem is. Have you, have you ever noticed that? Interesting, isn't it? Anyway, so that Jesus came and said, hang on, hang on, hang on. The law is there to serve man, not man to serve the law. They rejected Jesus as being the Messiah because we can't have that. Then there was a third group and they realized that the Messiah was going to come and was going to change the whole spiritual order and that a, a relationship with God was going to be possible without all the religious oppression and that was going to be beyond the worldly difficulties or the difficulties. So they kind of got it, if you like. But the question for them still was, and is this it? And nobody, not even the disciples, had worked out the dying bit, as we notice. So even those who believed that Jesus quite possibly was it, fell away when Jesus died because they just hadn't calculated that piece. And it works the same today. Is Jesus the one? 
is Jesus the one? Because if he is, then that has real implications, doesn't it? Because Jesus is a difficult character. And to bypass Jesus, frankly, makes Christianity a whole lot easier. Because what we do is we bypass the wrong word. Essentially, what we do is we, we, we take Jesus and then we move on to something easier. We kind of go, thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Um, you know, I, I like all the rest of it now, so I'll, I'll move. You know, it's like going into the throne of grace and going, thanks, Jesus, know my way. No need for you now. Sorry, thank you. When that isn't what Jesus says, Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but me. We go, okay, I like all this exciting flyabout stuff, uh, and we'll all get into that, but we won't realize why it is that the Holy Spirit has come with power, which is to transform the world. Remember the gospel, the gospel first, signs and wonders follow the gospel. So Jesus is awkward. He says these things, no one comes to the Father but by me. If we want to get our lives in line with God's perfect plan, then Jesus is God's perfect plan. But that's a challenge. Jesus' teaching is hard. I was doing something with uh, uh, our new intern, and I trapped him. I was doing a trap, which is a bit unfair, isn't it? Poor young lad. But I did this, and what's the Great Commission? And his eyes lit up. He thought, hey, first day, and he's asking me a question, I know the answer. And he said, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I said, and? He said, and I'm with you always. He says, yeah. And I said, and? And he said, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Yes, and by which time he got stopped because he'd missed the bit that everybody edits out of the Great Commission. Do you know what it is? It's this, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Yes, it's in the Great Commission. How do we miss it? Because it never gets quoted. Why does it never get quoted? Because the teachings of Jesus are difficult. Go into all the world, make disciples, carefully selecting the easiest bits of Jesus' teaching and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and lo, I am with you always. That's a much better commission, isn't it? But that is not the commission. And this is a challenge for us, that the teaching is hard. The sin is attractive. The church, which is God's revelation of His plan, is difficult to submit to. Christians find the church difficult to submit to. Let's be honest, Christians find the church difficult. But it is. We like to control God. We like the idea that God is liberal, except for those who really like the idea that God is legal. We like the idea that God is gushy. Unless, of course, we like the idea that God is hard. There are both groups. Discipline is hard for us, let's be honest. Submission is harder. 
sacrifice is almost impossible. I mean, we're talking alien cultures here. Consumerism and sacrifice do not go in the same culture, do they? So Jesus is a challenge. Intimacy demands a level of trust, and lots of people struggle with trust. So Jesus is hard. But Jesus is the revelation of God. If we want to say that we are a Trinitarian church, or that we are Trinitarian Christians, or that we believe that we are saved and are going to heaven, then our relationship with Jesus is the only mechanism by which we can say that, because He is the Son of God. He is the revelation of God's perfect plan. He is the physical outworking of His plan for salvation for you and for me. There is no other name, says Peter, by which people can be saved. Edit Jesus out, edit yourself out of eternal life. This is what Jesus… Now, I know this is hard teaching, but this is what Jesus said. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Whoever does not acknowledge me before men, I will not acknowledge before my Father. Those who deny Jesus and label themselves Christians risk eternal death. This is not a game. The revelation of God is not to be trifled with. The name of Jesus is not to be used lightly or discarded by those who claim a place in the kingdom. Jesus is the Son of God. He will change your life. What is His plan for you? Will you submit to it? Are you part of the revelation of God? Does God reveal Himself to the world through you because you are in Jesus? Do they look at you, see Jesus, and therefore see salvation as possible for them? That's exciting, isn't it? God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. God's plan for your salvation is revealed in His Son, Jesus. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we just want to acknowledge that You are the revelation of God incarnate, that You are the means by which we are saved, that Your name is above every other name, that by putting ourselves into Your life so we are transformed. We want to thank You that in these last times, God, You have revealed Yourself in a Son, and through the purification of sins, have opened up the door to transformation and eternal life. Lord, help us to move, help us to move in the presence of Jesus and to know your revelation. I just pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.